Hi, my name is John Eskelson and welcome to Section Hiking, the Appalachian Trail. I'm glad you're listening to this episode of the podcast and we're glad to have you here. Eventually, I will get some intro music. Okay, today we're going to talk about a section of the trail that in retrospect probably makes no sense as a hike in and of itself. Unless you're looking for some place you can go overnight and you didn't want to stay in a pre-established camping site. We're talking the 15-mile hike between Woodrow Road, which is at mile marker 1100, and is four miles south of a beautiful state park called Pine Grove State Park, uh, and Caledonia State Park, mile marker 1085. So that's where we started, Woodrow Road, and headed south to Caledonia State Park. Since I'm doing this episode a few months following the time that my buddy Alex and I went on this trip, I could have retconned it to make more sense. However, that's not how we did the hike, and so that's not how we're going to record or describe our hike. Um, We're not going to make up stuff as a result. Okay, this is the second section in southern Pennsylvania. We're in the Michaud State Forest and are in between two major state parks or camping areas that go through it. We'll talk about the Pine Grove State Uh, Pine Grove Forest State Park in the next episode, and we'll talk about our destination, Caledonia State Park, at the end of this one. This hike was originally taken in in the third week of June, which would be about three months into the Appalachian Trail uh, for those hiking northbound on a through hike, and, and, you know, assuming that they started sometime in March. It is fitting, then, that we cross paths with approximately 10 people who had continued with their through hikes through the spring, even as the Appalachian Trail Conservancy encouraged everyone to get off the trail due to the COVID pandemic in 2020. I'd also add that in August, I learned that uh, the AT Conservancy is not officially counting any miles hiked along the trail in 2020 because of their policy. That's not really a problem for those of us who are section hiking the trail. We can kind of fudge and say that we did it in 2021 or 2019, but it's a real pain for those who ended up completing the whole thing this year. As an aside, my wife and I were in Harper's Ferry just a a few weeks ago, and I had a conversation with one of the guys manning the table at the uh, Appalachian Trail Conservancy offices, and he he was joyfully telling me that... uh, yeah, none of the trails, none of the miles that you hike this year count. Uh, I kept my voice even and asked him a few questions to clarify the policy, which basically is nothing counts this year because they want to ensure that people stay off the trail in order to minimize the risk of COVID to both hikers and local communities. But my wife of 20 years who knew me well enough uh, understood that I was deeply unhappy about this issue so upsetting, Uh, but that's not really what we're here to talk about today. All right, there's two things notable about this portion of the Appalachian Trail. First, it is in this area of the hike that we passed the official halfway mark of the Appalachian Trail for 2020. The second thing is that at the end of June, the mountain laurels are in bloom in southern Pennsylvania. The trail is literally full of mountain laurels. You hike through a sea of these pretty flowers. It is almost like an ocean of flowers. 
It's really beautiful and worth hiking during this period of time, whether you're trying to get through the Appalachian Trail or not. The route is pretty flat most of the way. Sure, there are several little ups and downs with elevation changes of about plus or minus 300 feet for most of the trail. Um, the biggest climb uh, you get to is when you drop into Caledonia State Park, or if you're heading northbound, climb out of. Um, the, you, you, before that, there's a point where you go into a little tiny valley where we crossed uh, the Long Pine Creek next to the Mileburn Shelter at mile marker 1092.5, or about seven miles into the hike. Most of the time, anyone would consider this a relatively flat trail for the first 11 miles heading from north to south. At about mile 11, we came to a junction where the trail met up with two gravel covered roads. Um, these are Ridge Road and Stillhouse Hollow Road at mile marker 1089. It doesn't seem like much of a traditional intersection because the roads aren't straight. In the middle of that junction, uh, we hit the point where we began to descend a thousand feet over three miles from about 1900 feet uh, down to 930 feet in Caledonia State Park. This was a sizable drop and for those ascending the hill from Caledonia, it's a substantial climb. Specifically, the immediate, the first 500 foot gain from Caledonia to just past the Quarry Gap Shelter is pretty steep. You take a dip after the shelter and then climb another 700 feet for the next 1.4 miles. This clearly isn't the steepest trail ever, but for Southern Pennsylvania, it feels like quite a lot. In fact, when we did this portion of the trail coming down the hill, we came across a family from the area who were day hiking near the Quarry Gap Shelter. They had done an end-to-end -end Grand Canyon hike in 2019, and in preparation for that trip, what they would do is climb the Caledonia Hill uh, like 12 times in a row. Uh, sometimes up to 15 times in one day to prepare themselves. They said that as a result, they really were ready to tackle the rim to rim trail. Okay, so we've talked about the route. How was the camping? As with previous sections on the Appalachian Trail in the Michaux Forest, there are a number of pre-established camping locations all along the trail, several of them being uh, former uh, charcoal pits where um, mining companies would heat up iron ore. At least I believe that's what happened. Anyway, um, we contemplated staying at two or three of these uh, locations, but kept moving on and ended up staying at one that was halfway between the power line at mile marker 1089.8 and Middle, Middle Ridge Road at mile marker 1091.5 before settling down for the evening. Um, there was really nothing remarkable about this campsite. It was pretty quiet. Um, we had enough wood for a fire, but it was muggy that night and pretty warm already. So we didn't really make a big fire. We just made a little one. Um, the shelters, we hiked past two shelters on this hike. The Birch Run Shelter, which is at mile marker 1094.1 and the Quarry Gap Shelter at 1087.4. 
Both were exceptionally clean and well-maintained. They were absolutely good looking. Um, the volunteers who take care of these shelters have, have done an excellent job. I've been told that the Virginia shelters are not so pretty. I can't wait to get down there to see them, but we'll, we'll take a look at them. The pit toilets looked very well maintained and clean from the outside. Neither Alex nor I had any need to visit them when we passed by. As one hiker told us on the trail, the shelters in Virginia are absolute crap in comparison to what they experienced along the trail in Pennsylvania. I'll take that for what it's worth. Um, both campsites had nice hooks to keep food elevated and away from critters, both large and small. Um, I'd also note that the volunteers who take care of the Quarry Gap Shelter had also shaped um, an arch in the rhododendrons, uh, bush, rhododendron bushes that looked like we were hiking through a green tunnel. Um, it must have been really beautiful to hike through there when those rhododendrons uh, bloomed like an alleyway of flowers. Finally, at the end of this hike, we reached Caledonia State Park. This is a beautiful park and is somewhere I'd like to stay for a night or two if I was smarter in terms of planning my hikes. The campsites are full, uh, are, are full on green and lush compared to, we, compared to where we slept along the trail. There's a large grass field to hang out on and to rest one's body after a long hike. Additionally, there is a big, beautiful pool area with a water slide. I think it costs like four bucks to go in. There are real toilets and showers too. The park itself is uh, just over 1,100 acres large. Uh, for those who like to golf, there's an 18-hole golf course nearby. Um, for those more historically minded, there's a small but apparently thorough museum of Thaddeus Stevens, who was the co-owner of the Caledonia Ironworks, a Civil War legislator and an abolitionist. Um, and then Caledonia State Park is right on US 30, um, nearby Fayetteville, Pennsylvania, which has a range of services, including hotels, big box stores and restaurants, as well as a couple of massage and wellness centers. Basically, for those who are coming through this area, you can find what you need um, if you need a rest or want to stay in some place other than a camping spot. I can attest that bonfire burgers and ice cream nearby the trail has good food and ice cream. As for water, this portion of the trail has plenty of water. The first spot was at uh, the Birch Run Shelter. Uh, the next burn at the, the next point was at the Milesburn Cabin, which also had some trail magic. The third source was in the stream. Uh, just before you reach, if you're going southbound or just after, if you're going northbound, the quarry gap shelter. And then again, there's a large stream, creek, river, whatever you call it, actually in Caledonia State Park. The water sources are well spaced out um, across the spread of the trail, and you don't need to really worry about it. Uh, how did the camping go? The camping went fine. I'll admit, I don't remember super much about it. Um, we got in a little bit too late and we built a small fire, which we didn't really need. As I mentioned before, um, I stayed in a tent and in my REI down bag. It was too warm though. And I was reminded that I need to find something cooler. So what worked well? I really enjoyed dinner that evening. 
it was the fourth backpacking trip that I had gone this on this past summer. And I felt like everything was clicking pretty well. Um, I have uh, a recipe for a uh, paleo chili that I dehydrated and reheated. And it tasted really delicious. Um, everything else kind of worked fine and nothing was notable. So the other things that are notable along the trail was that we passed the midpoint of the 2020 Appalachian Trail, which was really cool. We met up with a through hiker whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. And she was doing a through hike and was just taking a break um, next to the sign, uh, sipping a Coke or a Diet Coke or something like that. Um, the second thing that was amazing were the flowers. The mountain lilies were absolutely beautiful. I know I've also already mentioned that as well. Um, let's see. What else did I have? I guess that's it for this trail. I mean, this trail was pretty easy. It was um, pretty fun. And for the most part, was really straightforward. I really couldn't have asked for anything, anything better on this hike. I looked up the uh, trail name of the hiker. Her name is Thunderstruck. Uh, she, I believe she's from Indiana, but I could be wrong. Anyway, I wanted to end on a, from a question that my brother uh, gave me about hiking solo. He asked, what do you do if you're injured or if you come across, and this is his example, a bobcat on the trail who wants to attack you. Um, he lives in Colorado, so I'm not going to make fun of him about bobcats. Uh, but I, I will reframe the question. Uh, what do you do if you come across a wild animal that's intent on engaging with you and you're by yourself? So I guess there's two questions. How do you deal with injury? And then how do you deal with wild animals? When it comes to handling an injury in the forest, I recommend going back to episode six of this podcast and if possible, get some first aid training. Uh, here's the good news. If you get injured and you can put yourself in a specific location, they'll be noticed by someone else. Think being along a highway or a country road, then, then that's good. I mean, the main gist of wilderness first aid and, and, and I say this primarily under the guise of go get trained on how to handle specific wilderness first aid um, situations is that your, your whole goal is to stabilize a person, stop bleeding, stabilize, you know, a fracture um, and that kind of action. And then get that person into a location where they can be found. Um, the assumption is that you're going to be, if you're injured in a way that requires a doctor's visit, the main goal is to get you out of the woods. So it's really important to do that. So how do you do that? Well, for a fracture, you make a splint. Um, or if it's, you know, like an arm, you take a bandana or some piece of cloth and you tie a person tight. If it's a burn, um, you know, you try to, to, you know, to cool it off using uh, cold water 
or some other sort of uh, solution. Some people bring burn cream with them if it's if it's a really superficial burn. Um, if it's bleeding, you put pressure on it and try to cut off the bleeding. Worst case scenario is that you apply some sort of tourniquet to cut off the blood to the uh, portion of the body that's affected. Um, all these things have specific um, ways in which you try to stabilize the body, keep it from going into shock, and then go find help. This is the beauty of the Appalachian Trail, is that you're in fairly remote places. However, um, in a good portion of the trail, um, particularly as, you, well, I don't want to say something totally off base, but there's you're, you're in relatively ex-urban areas and at least in the mid-atlantic portion of the trail i can't speak for other areas um, and the availability of emergency care is is existent um so i guess that's that's my answer to that question again i talk about this in episode six the second question is what do you do if there's an animal intent what would i i'm trying to think what i would do um I looked up the uh, trail name of the hiker. Her name is Thunderstruck. Uh, she, I believe she's from Indi Indiana, but I could be wrong. Anyway, I wanted to end on a, from a question that my brother uh, gave me about hiking solo. He asked, what do you do if you're injured or if you come across, and this is his example, a bobcat on the trail who wants to attack you? Um, he lives in Colorado, so I'm not gonna make fun of him about bobcats. Uh, but I, I will reframe the question. Uh, what do you do if you come across a wild animal that's intent on engaging with you and you're by yourself? So I guess there's two questions. How do you deal with injury? And then how do you deal with wild animals? When it comes to handling an injury in the forest, I recommend going back to episode six of this podcast. And if possible, get some first aid training. Uh, here's the good news. If you get injured and you can put yourself in a specific location that'll be noticed by someone else. Think being along a highway or a country road, then, then that's good. I mean, the main gist of wilderness first aid, and, and, and I say this primarily under the guise of go get trained on how to handle specific wilderness first aid um, situations is that your, your whole goal is to stabilize a person, stop bleeding, stabilize you know a fracture, um, and that kind of action, and then get that person into a location where they can be found. Um, the assumption is that you're gonna be, if you're injured in a way that requires a doctor's visit, the main goal is to get you out of the woods. So it's really important to do that. So how do you do that? Well, for a fracture, you make a splint. Um, or if it's, you know, like an arm, you take a bandana or some piece of cloth and you tie a person tight. If it's a burn, um, you know, you try to, to, you know, to cool it off using uh, cold water or some other sort of uh, solution. Some people bring burn cream with them if it's if it's a really superficial burn. Um, if it's bleeding, you put pressure on it 
and try to cut off the bleeding. Worst case scenario is that you apply some sort of tourniquet to cut off the blood to the uh, portion of the body that's affected. Um, all these things have specific um, ways in which you try to stabilize the body, keep it from going into shock, and then go find help. This is the beauty of the Appalachian Trail, is that you're in fairly remote places. However, um, in a good portion of the trail, um, particularly as, you, well, I don't want to say something totally off base, but there's you're, you're in relatively ex-urban areas and at least in the mid-Atlantic portion of the trail. I can't speak for other areas. Um, and the availability of emergency care is is existent. Um, so I guess that's that's my answer to that question. Again, I talk about this in episode six. So going back to episode four um, of of my podcast, uh, I spend about a good four minutes talking about bears, then talking about mini bears, which are things like raccoons and other small creatures uh, that all of them are mostly after your food. They're not really after you. And so uh, instead of going into this again, I'm going to refer you to episode four, particularly the, particularly the latter half when I talk about animals that want to uh, take your food or maybe cause mischief as opposed to uh, plants that want to cause you problems or insects. I will say that there are a small uh, subset of creatures that where the biggest that could bite you and you know where you have a chance at rabies along the Appalachian Trail. Raccoons, skunks, woodchucks, coyotes, beavers, foxes. Um, you know, black bears and porcupines are things, but it is a, most likely the, the most significant, sorry, significant is the wrong word. The most likely scenario that you'll come across is that they will stay far away from you. Um, they will want to take your food, um, if they can get at it, uh, particularly at night. Um, if you do come across something that is intent on coming at you, it means there's typically something wrong, right? Maybe it's rabid, maybe it's not, but I, I would, I would move away from it and, and let it pass. Um, and I would, you know, worst case scenario, I'd contact local law enforcement and that goes for an injured animal too. Um, there's an article on a website called trek.co, which talks about uh, wildlife along the Appalachian Trail. Um, but um, honestly, I'm not, I wouldn't be terribly worried about it um, for the most part. I mean, the biggest thing I've come across on the trail so far is our snake. It was a snake in the sun in the middle of June. Um, just sunning itself on the trail on a very sunny part of the trail. And then the other thing have been deer. Um, and then a bunch of, then a bunch of, uh, you know, mice and little rodents and things that we've seen around. We've seen several salamander, um, but nothing to be overly wary about. Um, I guess that's not to say that there isn't one, but if, if you do come across one, I, I would just, get out of the way or, or make yourself bigger 
um, and then contact law enforcement as soon as you can, um, and they can take care of the animal. That's not much help, and that's a terrible answer. But that's what I got for tonight. Episode 4 goes into a lot more depth uh, about creatures that could hurt you potentially and what to do, uh, particularly about bears and about smaller animals as well. So there you have it. Um, even though the answer to that question was probably not as good or as well thought out as I was in episode four, I would emphasize going to episode four where we go into depth about flora and fauna that want to kill you. Um, but uh, I hope you enjoy uh, going from Woodrow Road to Caledonia State Park, a hike that almost no one ever else will take. You'll always be going from somewhere more established to someplace that established. In the meantime, uh, I wish you well. Hopefully I'll get another episode up soon um, where we hike from Route 30, well, I guess uh, Woodrow Road North to Route 30. It's the only northbound segment we've done so far in space solely on parking spaces. Talk to you then.